Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, welcome back to the Kevin Clifton Show. And uh, he's already laughing at me, my guest, because I did that intro. But, um, so uh, a wicked guest on uh, this week is um, one of the most uh, prolific uh, singers, actors, um, you know, musical theatre performers, just general theatre performers um, that I've ever met. I'm really glad this washing machine's going mental in the background. I'm sure that's brilliant for everyone. Um, but yeah, and I've, worked, I've had the pleasure of uh, working with him on one of my tours, and uh, I'm a great admirer of his work. It's Mr. John Robbins. How you doing? Hi, <laughs> How you doing, JR? <laughs> uh, good, man. You are right? <laughs> yeah, good. Just going slightly insane, as you can hear. Um, yeah. Thanks for yeah. having me on. We've we've been trying to do this for like a year and a half. We have been talking about it for a while. Yeah, we're going to do this when we get, and then my schedule goes nuts, and then you're a very busy man as well. So yeah, we keep saying that. Oh yeah, we're going to do the podcast, and then my schedule, you know, is all over the place, and your schedule's all over the place. And for yeah. me, it's always been about like I want to sort of do it in person, and you know, be face to face, do um, have have a proper face to face chat, but. Um, didn't this sort is of as know close as we're how get. to make Zoom that happen. As... Yeah, and then coronavirus has brought Zoom into everyone's lives, and now uh, this is the best way forward. But um, how are you? Uh, how are you coping with all the coronavirus madness? Oh, we're all right. Um, I feel very lucky. Um, I've, I've got kids to structure my day around. Yeah. Um, so I'm never going to be bored. Frustrated and cross, yeah, but bored, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, and as all the parents listening will know you know, you do need time away from them. So my wife and I have got a sort of schedule of walks by ourselves around the neighborhood or time in the garden alone or, like you know, just, <laughs> yeah, like a little rotor of childcare. Um, but no, it's, it's been okay. I mean, it's nice that the weather's been good. We've got some outside space to, to play in. Mm. Um, so no, we're, uh, we're coping all right. I'm missing work. I'm really missing work. Yeah, like we were just having a, a little chat when we first came on just before I pressed record. And um, you were saying it's got to that point where like you just want to work, you just want to sing. Yeah, I, I, was, um, I was doing uh, Les Miserables in the West End mm. um, when the shutdown, the lockdown came in. And we were sent home about a week before the lockdown. So our last, we were sent home on March 16th. Right. Um, and everyone had showed up to work on that Monday. And um, the way West End shows generally work, as as you know now, West End musicals work is you you do you do your warm up at like six o'clock, and everyone yeah. says hello to each other, and then that's six till about half six, and then you've got about an hour to get ready for the show. You know, get all your or you get costumes and makeup and wigs and all that stuff, and eat if you haven't eaten your dinner, and so we all show up. And at about five to six, Boris makes his little speech saying, I advise you not to go to theatres. Mm. And then we get, we get a text on the, on the WhatsApp from our company manager saying, um, don't come down to warm up, stay in your dressing rooms. So we're like, okay. Um, and then over the tannoy system in the theatre, we get announcements saying, no one is to come down to the, to the, uh, stage, um, please stay in your dressing rooms. Well, okay, it's getting a bit more serious. And then the announcement at five past six comes comes over the tannoy saying, everyone's to go home, the show's cancelled until further notice. 
And so <laughs> we just went home. It's been the weirdest thing. So um, I haven't performed now for, what is it, three months? Coming up, coming up four months? Mm-hmm. And about a month in, I went a bit mental. I was just, I didn't realize quite how important performing is to my psyche and my soul and my body. Mm. And so um, I made my wife take my children out for an hour, <laughs> a couple of times a week, and I have a good wail by myself and annoy my neighbors, <laughs> sing, singing at the top of my voice various things. What do you sing? Well, because I'm doing lame is, I sing all my lame is material. Well, I like I to sing. keep facts in it, like to keep it. Yeah, just keep, I mean, I, I can't see fit. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I can't see fit is opening again. September earliest, maybe turn of the year. Yeah. So, so yeah, keeping it just kind of ticking over, but more, more for me than anything else. Hmm. And then um, I sort of look through YouTube for decent karaoke tracks. <laughs> I've done bits of Bon Jovi. Um, bits of I've done bits bits of musical theatre that I never get to sing, like Jesus Christ Superstar, and just stuff that is going to be fun to sing, you know. Yeah. Um, do you find? Um, I mean, you've been singing. We'll we'll rewind to like earlier on in your career and how it started and all that, like in a minute. But you've been singing like all your life, like yeah. mostly. Um, do you find that? even now like if you don't do any singing for three months when you go back to it is your do you find that the level might have dropped like like i mean you're really experienced so it might not now i, I don't know but like you feel that no, it's, it, you have to keep ticking over or? it's not really about level i mean the voice is just a muscle like your leg muscles so if mm-hmm. a runner doesn't run for three months he's not going to be able to run as far as fast so if I don't sing for a week, two weeks, three months, whatever, I'm not going to be able to sing as well for as long, but I'll be able to sing one song brilliantly. And then my voice will get a bit tired. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the sort of stamina of the muscles that goes, you see, I was doing Les Mis, um, and that's a three hour show. Yeah. And I'm on stage for the majority of it. Um, and I had built up the stamina to be able to do, a three-hour show all week, well, you know, and I could, I could not do that now. There's no way. I could probably squeeze out one show and then the next day I'd be dead. So it's not like it, it's not like the vocal stamina just goes straight away. It sort of degrades over time. Mm-hmm. So when we eventually get a thumbs up to go back to work, I will essentially go into pre-season training. Right. You see, I keep coming up with football metaphors in my yeah, life. It's yeah, just because yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to play for Liverpool, really. <laughs> but um, So I'll, I'll, I'll do sort of a pre-season. I will sing every single day, and I will push my voice quite hard yeah. so that I get a tired voice. So then I'm used to building up muscles. Because um, okay. it's, like, it's a bit like going to the gym. Like Lifting a weight feels heavy, mm. and then if you keep lifting it, your muscle gets bigger, you get used to it, you understand how to do it. Mm. Um, then it doesn't feel heavy anymore. But, um, but yeah, right now, if I had to sing my Miz, it would be a problem. But that's, inter- that's interesting. So you actually, when you're practicing, you practice to sort of get to a point where your voice is tired. Yeah, like, to work out. Like, like to work out the, the muscles. Yeah. I mean, I do fun stuff because it's an, it's an artistic thing as well as a, yeah. you know, um, 
a fitness thing. Mm. But uh, so I do, I do fun stuff. I'm not going to do, I'm not just going to do scales because they're a bit boring, but I do yeah. do an, I do do a full warm up for 15, 20 minutes. I do do a full warm down afterwards. So, you know, it's a whole hour's worth of, it's a workout like going to the gym. Um, it just happens to sound like Andrew Lloyd Webber at points. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so no, it's, um, it, it is definitely a stamina, stamina thing that, that I'm going to need to build back up. Actually, I'm interested in what does, um, what does your, uh, warm up consist of? Like say before Les Mis, cause like I'm, I'm sort of singing now, but I'm a lot newer to it than you. Oh, I know. <laughs> and I, I know. We're, um, we're going to tell the apocryphal story of when you came to me backstage and said, <laughs> sing this with me. We'll get to that. Guys. We'll That's get great. To that. But, um, but so, you know, I have my vocal coach and she, she sort of does a, um, uh, so, so she's called Lucy Allen and she does, uh, she does like a vocal warm up with me and I've got that recorded on my phone so that yeah. I go through those warm ups before a show. I'd, I'd always go through those, those same warm ups. Um, and then when I, when I went on to like rock of ages or, or, or wedding singer, like you, you quickly notice that like everyone has got a completely different sort of warm up routine, you know, that, like, so shows for anyone who doesn't know like you'll often do like a group warm-up on stage like as you were saying um with the md or something and he'll take you through a warm-up and some people there were uh, i noticed like weren't doing that warm-up they were just like mm. sort of on stage just going and just doing that sort of in a corner making little noises in a corner but not really doing too much and then they mm. do their own warm-up in the room some people would be belting out that warm-up and, and really going for it um, and uh, we, we've got our mutual friend, uh, Ricky Rojas. Yeah. We speak to him about it and he's like, uh, I saw him um, around Christmas. Uh, I went to see him in, in Moulin Rouge uh, on Broadway. And I was talking to him about it and he went, um, oh, to be honest, I don't do that much of a warm Like I'll, I'll sort of play my guitar a little bit and sing along. And then before <laughs> I go on, I'll just check that it's there. And he sort of goes, ah! like that and he goes yeah it's there and, and then goes on and I'm like what is your warm up yeah. like yeah well I'm going to say that I'm not a rock star like Ricky is so I, I'm, uh, I'm more cautious than he is man um, <laughs> I mean my warm up it has some technical stuff I, I understand well it depends what, what part I'm doing playing, playing Jean Valjean requires certain bits of your voice to be very warm okay. there's, there's a lot of falsetto stuff Right. So, um, so I will practice more falsetto stuff and going through what's called your vocal break. So that's the, the little bridge between your chest voice and your head voice. Mm. So I'll try and smooth that out. And I've got exercises that do that. Right. Um, there are other parts of the show where you need to sound very authoritative and, um, grounded. So that's, again, that's a different placement in your, yeah. in your, in your voice. And so I'll, I've got exercises for that. Um, but I won't just warm up at six o'clock with everyone else. I'll have done a teeny warm up at home, very low maintenance, very nothing high, high impact at all. Okay. Around midday, one o'clock ish for an evening show, okay. just to sort of wake your voice like, you know, like stretching. Yeah. And then I'll do another one at say four ish, five ish when I get to the theater by myself. Mm. So the one at six o'clock is sort of a, a finisher offer for, 
but, but the other thing about the six o'clock one is it's an etiquette thing for everyone else. It's not just about warming up your voice. It's an opportunity to see everybody, connect with everybody and pay the respect to the musical director who has shown up to do this warm up with everybody. Hmm. So I always thought it was an etiquette thing to do the warm up. Obviously, if they're doing stuff that impacts you negatively, then, then I don't do it. Hmm. There, are certain, there are certain things that I think, well, that's not going to help me, so I'll just not do that one. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of, I don't want to bore, bore your listeners with technicalities no, of, of vocal stuff, but there are certain muscles that need warming up in your face. There are certain muscles that need warming up in your jaw. There are certain muscles that need warming up in your neck. There is, you know, cause it's all interconnected. Yeah. And then there's all the breathing stuff. So, uh, you know, you've got to warm up your lower back so that the muscles can support your, uh, your, your breathing muscles and all that sort of stuff. So it's very technical and boring. Um, and it's a very long process. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's all, it's an all day thing with this role. When I did Hamilton, and I played King George in that, as you know, because yeah. you saw me, I was on stage for eight minutes. <laughs> and that role was not vocally demanding at all. So my warm-up was far, far less comprehensive. Mm. I didn't need to do that much. Um, yeah. Not quite as, as little as Mr. Rojas, but, um, <laughs> but I still needed to do the company warm-up. But I wouldn't think about it. I wouldn't think about my role until I got there in the evenings. Mm. Whereas... Jean, I have to think about sort of earlier in the day, you know. Right. Is it is doing Jean Valjean the most taxing on, on your voice sort of role that you've done, would you say? Um, no. I did a show called Memphis. Um, oh, yeah, I love that show. It's a brilliant show. Yeah. And I was alternate to Huey, the, the lead part. So mm. I was doing it a couple of times a week. Mm. And, um, and that was... Uh, written by the keyboard player for Bon Jovi, um, David uh, Bryan, I think. And so it all sounds like it's all rock and gospel and soul and blues, and it's all very, very high-octane, scream-your-ass-off type singing. And and if you used good technique, like if you sang well, in inverted commas, it wouldn't sound right. Whereas with lame is you can employ a bit of proper singing technique. Yeah. So you've got something to fall back on, but with Memphis, you just had to scream it out. And if it was there, you hit it. It sounded great. If you didn't, it sounded awful. And <laughs> I repeatedly sounded awful. I'm sure. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> there are a couple of, yeah, there are a couple of uh, low lights for everyone to enjoy. But, um, but you know, that, that was, that was actually harder. Um, Farjan is just is is taxing and is tiring and does take up a lot of my mind and my day, but it's what I've wanted to do for twenty years, so I'm never going to complain about it. Mm. It's a massive role, isn't it? I haven't seen Lemus for a bit. I've seen it like two or three times. I haven't seen you in it yet, no. um, but I've seen it two or three times, and like mm. it's a it's a massive role, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's <clears throat> it's bigger than King George. I will <laughs> yeah, I will yeah. accept <laughs> I will accept that. Um, but it, I mean, it is big, but because the whole show is big, you forget that there are subplots going on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, there's the, 
students section there's the romance love triangle that happens there's Javert and his story there's Fontaine and her story that you know everyone has there are these subplots that wind in and out of each other so I do get more time off stage than I thought I was going to to just have a breather whereas Memphis for example there was no subplots he was on stage every in every scene doing the work in every scene Yeah, yeah so um so yeah, it is, it is a, it's a slog, but I love it. I love it. Mm. Mm. Um, so going right back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, so when did you, when did you start uh, as a singer? And, and, but I'm also, I'm interested in like, what made you start? Like, why did you do it? And was it always about singing or was, was it, um, the, the acting as well or did you want to be a dancer or like all of that all of that stuff like what made you get into it and what were like what was your motivation for the whole well game? you've seen you've okay. seen me dance so it was not I, I've never wanted to be a dancer but I have I have danced on stage in front of people before um with very few refunds uh I guess I guess it was the thing I was best at and I think Looking back on it with hindsight, it's what gave me identity. Right. Like, you know, you get, you get to, I don't know, we're in our mid-30s, aren't we? So you get to this sort of age and you've I'll had I'll take mid-30s, yep. Yeah, thanks. Uh, me too. Um, <laughs> we'll take that one. So, you know, you've been doing it, what, 15, 10, 15 years. I mean, yeah. you can do it longer because you were a junior um, at a high level. But I think you've got, you get a bit of distance on it and you think, well, what, what was it about it that really attracted me to it? And I think it was identity. I think it was, oh, um, Johnny does that. That's what, and I was Johnny growing up. So Johnny does that thing. Yeah. Um, and it was what, it was what I was best at. Um, and at about, I don't know, I did Amdram, I did school productions and I did choirs and stuff. And then at about 11 years old, I was in the, um, school choir and the conductor for the school choir, uh, Lorraine Worley was my first singing teacher because she literally put her hand on my shoulder after a choir rehearsal and said, you're going to come and have singing lessons with me. And I went, okay. And at that point I was a treble, like, you know, unbroken boy's voice right up in the, right up in the rafters. Right. Um, (laughs) and and, you know, we started having weekly singing lessons and working on that and working on building up understanding of the voice and the strength of the, the muscles and all that kind of stuff. And then my she voice... She something in you. Like, she just thought... Yeah. He's, he sounds great. He's going to be a great singer. Like, Yeah. I, I don't know if it was a focus that I had because I've always been very focused when I've been... I now call it at work. At the time, it wasn't work, but, you know, I'm yeah, quite yeah, focused yeah. at work. Um and I think she, you know, I had a natural voice that she felt could be developed. Mm. Um, but that was definitely Lorraine that sort of takes credit for me thinking about it that way. And then I joined, um, I was doing school productions and Amdram, and then I joined Welsh National Youth Opera when I was 15. Okay. Because um, I was living in Bristol at the time, right. and I would travel over to Cardiff. You were born in, Le- born in Liverpool? Uh, I was born in Manchester and then moved oh, to Liverpool at a very early age. Right, okay. um, but, hence uh, Liverpool sport. Okay. So I did most of my growing up in, in Liverpool, yeah. Let's make it oh, nice. when, I, yeah. <laughs> when I grew up, listen, the first team I knew was Rush, Barnes, Beardsley, yeah, Rob yeah, Alarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great Liverpool team. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so uh, so yeah, and then I'd, I'd sort of mid-teens, 15-ish, I'd go over to Cardiff uh, Saturday mornings, or was it Sunday morning? Sunday mornings, and do Welsh National Youth Opera. And then I would do full-on operas, you know, using the Welsh National Opera's facilities, which were some of the best in the world at that point, and got to meet all these brilliant opera singers and conductors and MDs and just guys that were involved in it on a really high level. Mm. Um, and Did you have to I, I, get into that? Yeah. 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 Um, and then I moved to Cardiff when I was 16-ish, and I did my A-levels there. Um, and I, my singing teacher, I, moved, I changed singing teacher, was a guy called Tim Reese Evans. And Tim um, was the conductor of a thing called Only Men Allowed, which was a, or a quite young whale, uh, male voice choir. Um, and they won a thing called oh, what, the Choirs Competition that was on the BBC like a decade ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, so he's... But I think so he, again, he girls allowed. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, big rivals to girls allowed. Um, <laughs> Same gag, actually. Same sort of uh, pun with the word aloud. It's a yeah, popular yeah. pun. Um, and then uh, he he put me in touch with a friend of his that was a, a tutor at Mountview, which okay. was the drama school I went to in London. Mm. And I won a scholarship to go there. So I think in hindsight, it was people noticing that I could do this thing mm. and thought, because, you know, I, I never thought I could earn money from it. Yeah. Um, I never thought it could, you know, provide a life for me. It was mm. just the thing I loved doing. Yeah. And I was in groups or with people that with with teachers who would facilitate that. Um, so, so and the reason. Go on, say. Well, the reason I was just going to say the reason I went to Mountview is because that's the one I could afford. Right. You know, um, yeah. I, I I didn't come. I'm not from a wealthy background, so I was, you know. Drama school is expensive, um, and I, I won a scholarship to go to to Mount View, and that sort of made it made up my mind for me. Yeah, so it wasn't like when when you were like really young, you were sort of this kid in in your bedroom, like watching musicals, films, no. and, and stuff, dreaming of one day being a performer. It was just like no, I don't think it was that solidified in my head, I, and I certainly didn't know about musical theatre really. Yeah, I was I was going to train to be an opera singer, right? Um, and the acting was sort of secondary, and uh, I, I'd never thought about doing the doing the two. I'd certainly never prioritised the acting over the singing, which is when I teach now, and I've been teaching for over ten years. That's that's all I teach. Is it doesn't matter how you're saying it, what you're saying is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know concentrating on the the lyrical content of a song over the melodic content of it and making sure that the audience understands the clarity of the thoughts through the lyrics and all this all this stuff that you know the musical theater theory like that had never occurred to me at 17 18 i just wanted to make nice sounds with my voice right um and it had to be beaten out of me at college but i but i I love all this because like this is what um this is what i'm about like say when i'm teaching dance um Mm. you know like on strictly or whatever like i 
I noticed that I very quickly become a, uh, like quite similar. Like these are the moves, like these are the moves that you've got to do. But, and, and yes, there's this technique and the judges are going to talk about that technique and that's uh, whatever. Mm. But at the end of the day, this is what we have to achieve. You're this character and this is mm. your relationship to my character and the dynamic. And this is what's happening. And like, this is the story that we're trying to tell. Yeah. But I think that's, that's what, that's what people respond to. Like yeah. people in our industry, the judges that, da- that judge you dancing or the, the teachers that teach me singing are looking for technicalities. That's not what an audience is looking for. They're looking to be moved by the art. Yeah. And if, if, the, if the art is accessible, then the technique is secondary. The fact that you've mastered your techniques means that you have more, um, more tools with which to tell your story properly. But that's what they're going to respond to. They're going to respond to the way you tell the story, the thoughts you're conveying, the feelings that you're conveying, the story, all that stuff. Um, and that's, that's what I teach now, like, like, like you do. But that's why you've done so well on those shows. I was just going to say that. That's why you're so successful. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. I, th- I think that's, that's what it is. And I, I know we're jumping about a bit, but that day, which we'll get to that story, but that day when, when uh, I was like, can you help me with this? And, and, and I um, started doing it for you. Like you immediately launched into, you know, just on like that line, think about what you're saying with that line. Like, who are you singing this to? And what does it mean to you? And what, like, why are you singing that sentence? Like, yeah. don't, don't just try and make a pretty sound coming from your breathing or whatever, like, because yeah. that on its own is pointless. And do you I want to tell people. the story? Otherwise we're going to be like hinting at this story for an hour. Do you want to just tell it? Okay. <laughs> well, oh, well <laughs> so this was sort of, um, I, I mean, I was in a musical back in 2010, but it wasn't a big singing part. And then I got this opportunity to audition for rock of ages. And, um, yeah, I don't know. You tell. They want to hear from you. You t- you tell it. No, know. man, it's it's, uh, it's it's your show. Um, well, we were <laughs> in Wimbledon doing your tour. Yeah, and I was one of the singers with the band on your tour. Mm. Um, and thank I want to you tell for that picking... story after this as well. Your yeah. because that was hilarious. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I know what you're going to say about. It. Yeah. Um, so we're in Wimbledon, and um, the Rock of Ages tour has asked you to audition for this role and you came to me with like a knock on my dressing room like really sheepish um i've been asked to audition for this musical can you help me i was like yeah sure what what, what is it so you said i've got to sing this song and and learn this this these scenes it's like okay so you hand me the sheet the, the, the stuff and my first thought was can he sing and I don't know, was I as brazen to just say, can you sing? Was, did I say I that? I remember. That I, sounds I like the just, sort of... I was really nervous. Obviously, <laughs> it's you, and you are an um, unbelievable singer. And you've been singing, like, for sort of, you know, most of the... Uh, we, we'd got through, like, most of the tour, I think, uh, mm. by, by this stage. And, and, and I was just... I would always, like, listen to you singing and, and watch you from the wings. And, and I'd be watching you all the time, like, and trying to, like sort of emulate like how you sounded with songs in in, in my room, like trying to sort of um, reproduce, you know, like like what you were doing. Cause like, it just seems so easy to you and it seems so easy to sort of sound like amazingly clear, but also powerful and also full of story. 
And I was like, yeah. that's a great singer right there. And I was, yeah. I, I was trying to sort of emulate you, which, I, which, like, I'm, oh God, I'm jumping all over the place now, but, um, so, so we'll come back to that bit, hold that thought, but oh, I, yeah. I, um, obviously ended up doing Wedding Singer, the musical, and, um, they told me, oh, you know, um, the guy that played Robbie Hart before you, um, was John Robbins. And I was like, oh, was it? Oh, great. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Awesome. So I'm following that guy. <laughs> like, oh, no. um, We're going to come on to that because I saw you do it and it was great, man. It was so good. Uh, but, um, in, in rehearsal, All right. in, in rehearsals, I, um, I, I was trying like, like the songs and, and trying to rehearse them and, and, and um, sort of, you know, I haven't been singing as long as you. And then I also had had, you know, just done Strictly, so I hadn't been singing for that whole time. So it was like sort of retraining myself again. I'll remember to do that and remember to do this and da 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 And they were playing the, um, at one point for us to rehearse like the dance moves to, they were playing the track from a recording of the show from before. And I was... And, and I was trying to copy, like I knew it was you and I was trying to copy how you sounded because there was this particular bit of a song that I was struggling with. Just, I was like, I don't know really how to make this sound good. And, um, and I was trying to copy like what you were doing. And then I was getting frustrated with the MD in, in the uh, rehearsal room. And, and, and I was going, you know, I want to, I want to sound like this. And, and because, you know, I want to make this sound because I've listened to John Robbins and, does, uh, <laughs> and the MD just said to me, I think you probably need to, forget about trying to sound like John Robbins. <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I was, I, was, I was sort of so in awe of you as a singer. So I was really, yeah, like you say, sheepish when I came to you with, oh, I'm going to audition for this. <laughs> yeah, but you know what was crazy about it is you had to sing Dead or Alive, right? Yeah. Bon so the Bon Jovi song. So I, I think I found like a YouTube karaoke version in the right key yeah. and I said right well just sing it and you looked at me like what now I was like <laughs> yeah all right go on <laughs> and I sort of I think, I think I sort of held my breath like oh god what if he's shit what if it's <laughs> what, what if he's what am I going to say if he's awful and you started and you sounded brilliant and I think I laughed I had that sort of relief nervous laughter oh good no he can sing oh good okay good <laughs> and there's me thinking oh god he's laughing at me yeah it's sure. all gone downhill i promise you i promise you that laugh that laugh was supportive um <laughs> but no i just i remember thinking right yeah we're going to be totally fine and then we started working on the scenes mm. and there was a specific line about the the band telling you to go F yourself or something. Yeah. And, and then your, your natural read of that line as an actor was, huh, the, the band loved me, <laughs> like embarrassed about it. Yeah. And I had to remind you that Stacey Jacks, the character that you were auditioning for, wouldn't be embarrassed. He thinks everyone loves him, so it's yeah. genuine. Yeah. So I remember that being a bit like a bit of a light bulb moment for you, like, oh, yeah, yeah I have to think like someone else. Yeah. And I think the biggest mistake an actor can make is assuming that everyone thinks the same way mm. because nobody thinks the same way. Mm. And it takes real bravery to think, okay, well, that's how I think. Let's set that aside. How does this guy think? And then you get into, right, you can't judge how they think. You have to be on your character's side at all times. Mm. And that's when you start to morph yourself into somebody else. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. You can't, that's interesting. You can't judge the character. You no, can't. because you might have to play, you might have to play Hitler. You might have to play a paedophile. You might have yeah. to, play, you know, and Stacey Hitler Jones is... think that Hitler's a bad guy. He's right. Like, he thinks that he's in the right. Right, you got it. Yeah. So Stacey Jacks, womanizer, well, likes llamas or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> alpacas or whatever. Yeah, llamas, yeah. Right, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, you can't judge that guy. You have to absolutely be on their side at all times if you want to yeah. think like them. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember going through that with you and you smashed it and I saw you do it twice, I think. So, and it was, and it was great. Um, did you enjoy that? Because I remember I you being quite nervous about doing the musical and singing that much. Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I think my nerves were um, coming from a place of everyone knows me for Strictly Come Dancing. So everyone knows I'm a, I'm a dancer. Honestly, how much more noise could happen in here? There's dogs barking <laughs> outside. Um, everyone knows me as a dancer from Strictly Come Dancing. So when I go into a musical theatre show, um, and, and I don't know whether people would think like this or not, but in my head, there was going to be people wondering if, if, if it was fair that I got the job. Mm. Like, like, oh, we probably got it just because of his profile on Strictly Come Dancing and people that can actually sing and act, um, you know, should have got the job ahead of him and, you know, that have been through stage school and, and whatever. So I was really keen to, um, like, it, it was almost more important to me that the, the other people in the cast thought that I was good than, you know, that I won the, like, the respect of the rest of the cast. Yeah. Um, so, that they, so that they didn't, I thought, if they don't think that I'm just here because I'm a dancer on Strictly Come Dancing and they actually appreciate that I can do this, yeah. then then I'll be confident enough in front of the audience. So that's where my nerves, yeah. what my nerves were about. Well, I had a lot of texts from people, mutual friends of ours that were in that Rock of Ages company about a week into rehearsal saying, he's brilliant, tell him he can stay, he's, he's totally fine. And I, uh, I think, and, and they wouldn't have lied to me, you know, if, mm. if, if, you'd, if you'd have not cut it, if you'd have turned up and been shit, they would have absolutely said, what's he doing here? He's <laughs> taking someone's job. And people yeah. do that because, you know, it's being on stage with people. It's, it's mainly trust just like dancing in, in, in any performing arts, actually, it mm. doesn't matter what type it is. You have to trust the people around you. You know, you have to be able to throw them the metaphoric ball because if you think they're going to drop it, you're nervous. And then that makes it unsafe. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, and the fact that everyone trusted you straight away, it would have would have filled you with confidence, and it did, and you were able to do it, and that was awesome. Yeah. Um, do, um, for, for someone like you who's been doing it all your life, and, you, and you've done many musicals um, and like big ones, um, do, do you feel any of that pressure? Are you just used to it now, or do you feel any of that pressure coming, especially coming into like, say like your last couple of roles, Jean, Jean Valjean in Les Mis and um, the King in Hamilton, like? Those are massive roles. Do you feel any of the pressure of like the people that have gone before you in those roles? Um, yeah, it, it's a funny thing with musical theatre because a lot of what we do is recreation. I mean, you said it there. You did Wedding Singer after me, so yeah, I'm in your I'm in your head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 
Right. I have Colm Wilkinson, who was the original Jean Valjean, in my head a little bit, even though he did it in 1985. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, that's, and, and you do, you know, because you look up to guys who've played these roles before and you think um, they've been so successful at them. And that does come with a weight of expectation. But I always think that you have to look at these parts and shows especially the big shows like Hamilton and Lame is um, from the inside out. You have to look at them from, right, what's you, who's your guy? What does he want? What's his obstacles? You go back to the acting craft of it. You know, you, you have to look at it from the person outwards. Because if you look at it from the outside in with all the labels that are attached to it, world's most successful musical, you know, seen by 80 million people, you know, Hamilton, it's a big deal, I mean, right? Biggest in the right. world, yeah. Right, but if you think about that stuff, then you're looking at the show from the outside inwards. If you go in with, right, I'm going to play this part. What does this, who is this part? Who is this guy? It, the interesting thing about playing a king is that he's never heard the word no before. Mm-hmm. And what you witness in Hamilton is him hearing the word no for the first time. So you don't think about it as I'm playing the king in Hamilton. You think about it as what does a man who's never heard no before do the first time he hears that word? Hmm. Right. And that's how the writer's written it. So that's how the actor has to portray it. So if you think about it from the inside outwards, it does take away some of the pressure. Like I have to sing Bring Him Home every night. That's a song everyone knows everyone loves, everyone's waiting for, and I can, I can still, I haven't done it for a couple of months, but I could, <laughs> I could still feel when the intro, because it's quite a famous introduction, you know, those, you can hear people like audibly take a breath in and hold their breath waiting for you to sing. And although there is an element of pressure with that, if you think about it as I'm about to sing, bring him home, you're going to freak out. Yeah. If you think about it as my character is about to sit down and pray for a, a, and have a conversation with God for the reason of saving a boy who loves his daughter, mm. then it takes away all the pressure and it makes you a better actor because you're inside the situation rather than outside the situation looking in. Hmm. Did that make any sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be writing all this down for my next <laughs> Yeah, this is No, gold. but like, it, it, it is funny. And my first show after I graduated college was Miss Saigon. And I had never seen Miss Saigon. Mm. Um, because like I said, I wasn't one of these teenagers that used to travel to the West End once a week or once a month. Like I only seen, by the time I went to college, I had seen two West End shows. Which ones? I know. Uh, Les Mis. Yeah. Um, and Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think. Yes. Um, and that's it. That's it. I'd seen a couple of operas and I'd seen a lot of Amdram stuff and I'd never seen them. So I'd never seen Miss Saigon. And at the end of the first run through, um, spoiler alert, by the way, um, I didn't know that she shot herself. Right. Right. And I, <laughs> she shot herself and screamed and the curtain, like we stopped and I looked around. I must've been the only person that didn't know it was coming and went, is that it? She went, yeah, she shoots herself. What? 
No, she, yeah, she shoots herself, John, yeah. But, but what? <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> um, but that was me not knowing that the show was a big deal at the time, you know, mm. it was. So I think I've always had that mentality of I'm doing it from the inside outwards. Mm. And I think that probably helped. Starting off on a big show like that with the expectation that, you know, you're going to be performing to thousands of people a night in massive theatres all over the country. I think if I'd started off doing alternate smaller stuff and worked my way up to the big shows, maybe I'd have felt a bit more in awe of them. But um, I feel, I've always felt comfortable doing that because that's where I started, you know? Mm. But then when we're talking about like, um, you know, the, what that character wants and what the obstacles are and all of that stuff in, in terms of, you know, when you're sort of preparing your your role and, and, and your mm. character, um, how, how much of your, of yourself do you bring to it? Like consciously, like we say when you're talking about the king, the king, mm. uh, you're saying he's never been told no. Mm. Um, is your first instinct, like, how do I react? If I'd never been told no, how do I react? Mm. Or do you leave yourself behind and go, how would that king? And it's just, you're in a completely different mindset. Like how do you, I, I think it's, it's a bit of both. Like you can't think how would I react? Cause like I said, everyone thinks differently. You have to think, how would he react? But you can't, you are the conduit for this character. He's got your face and your body and your voice. Mm. So, you know, it has to be a little bit of you. Mm. Um, and I always think, you know, if you can take things to the macro and think about them as how do people react to things and then define it and re refine it down into how does this guy do it? Um, that helps. Mm. I, uh, on the day that I had my final for Hamilton, I only had three auditions for it. Mm. Um, the first of which was a complete accident, by the way, mm. I went into the, I went into the wrong audition room. What? I, was auditioning, I was auditioning for something else in the same building and I went into the wrong audition room. No and way. Accidentally, accidentally opened the door to Hamilton auditions. That's and an amazing story. The, the MD, the musical director, was <laughs> Richard Deedle, and I, I knew him. I'd done gigs with him. So I went in and, hi, guys. Oh, sorry, wrong room. Um, and he said, everyone said, hi, John. I was like, so, yeah, sorry. Always seen downstairs. And I text him as I walked out saying, you're auditioning for Hamilton, right? Get me in for King George, would you, Rich? <laughs> and, so he, and so he did. Um, and then I had that audition and then I had another one with the UK team and then the Americans came over and that was, that was it. That's amazing. Um, but I would have never had or even auditioned for it if I'd not walked into the wrong room. So it was completely uh, yeah, coincidental. Fate. <laughs> it was destiny that you were always meant to play it. <laughs> what, what? On my, on my final, yeah. I'd, spent, I'd spent all day with my kids. And again, as parents will know, it was a, it was like, it was a day like, um, uh, today it was very hot and, um, we'd spent all day in the park and they'd squabbled and I want an ice cream. No, I want an ice cream. And then they spill their ice cream and you're like, right, okay. And then you need the loo. There isn't a loo around. And you spent all day like getting frustrated at these kids. And what, it, what occurred to me is that King George speaks to, well, America, technically, but yeah. his audience like their children. So yeah. I, 
because I know everything and you know nothing, right? That's yeah. the mentality of the guy. So my way into playing a king was, oh dear, you poor children, you don't know anything about how to run anything and I know everything because I'm the grown-up. Right, so that was my mentality into it. And because I'd spent all day with the kids, I was able to bring that to the audition. Um, brilliant. Which I think probably helped. <laughs> that is so brilliant. And that totally came across now, like, in yeah, it must your have. performance. Like, you're so, like, I, I loved, um, I mean, when I saw you in it, that's the first time I'd seen Hamilton. I hadn't seen anyone else in the role, so I don't know, like, how anyone else plays it. But when, what I loved was, like, when, when they'd sort of taken control, you know, like, of yeah. their independence and moved away from, from Britain, um, it's like the, the way that your uh, king... Uh, <laughs> like the way, the way you played it, it's like you were so, you know, that thing of like, oh God, I'm so disappointed in you, you idiots. <laughs> like, yeah. Like that. It wasn't yeah. like <clears throat> anger and I'll show you and one day I'll no. get revenge. It was like this rolling the eyes kind of like, oh, you, you idiots, you don't know what you're doing. And yeah. like, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> mm. I yeah. love like. Like when a child says, no, I'm going to do it this way. And you go, all right, you are going to hurt your knee. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, go on gonna, then. You, go on then. Go on, go and learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that, you, like, that, it was, that came from like you just <laughs> being irritated with your kid. That's so brilliant. And that's a brilliant answer to the question. Um, <laughs> um, and then auditions then. Like, yeah. Do you... Is it the same sort of thing? Do you get nervous about auditions? Did you um, used to, but not so much now? Or? I used to... Um, you see, musical theatre isn't as big a world as you think it is. Right. You know, it is, actually quite, it is actually quite a small little world. You know, it's a little corner of the acting fraternity. Mm. And everyone tends to know everyone else. So after five years or so, there were very few auditions that I went into where I didn't know someone. Right. That was, that was either playing the piano for me or was doing the auditioning. And now that we're in our <clears throat> mid-30s, most of, a lot of my mates are the directors. Yeah. So, you know, um, so that, that really, that's calmed me down a lot. I get a lot yeah. less nervous now that I know people in the room. Yeah, that, that I'm makes sense. In. But like, if, if you didn't know anyone in there, Mm. I like so so near near the beginning of your sort of um, journey of, of, of mm. theatre, um, and then because because I haven't done many auditions in my in my life, right? I've only I've only mm. um, done a few, and and I never really know. Like, say, um, if I if I had to audition tomorrow for like Jean Valjean, that this yeah. wouldn't happen. But like, I would not get in that room, I'm sure. But, oh, um, but like, would, would you, I don't know if this is a stupid question, but there'll be people listening to this that, that might want to know the answers to this. Like, yeah. would you think, right, Jean Valjean is like this, so I'd better like grow a bit of a beard and sort uh -huh. of look a bit like him, you know, like, or like when I, basically when I did my Rock of Ages audition, I sort of dressed as Rocky. I found the rockiest thing in my wardrobe <laughs> and just tried to make myself look a bit rock and roll as I walked yeah. in. 
like because I was going to be playing a rock star. Do, do you do that or is a that- bit? Yeah, it's it's sort of like um, look as as an actor, you're a product, right? Mm. As a performer, you are a product. You are a product to be bought or not bought by that production. Mm. So, and you've got to think about yourself like that, and that is. The, the best way that you can feel self-worth because your product is exclusive and um, special and it's only about you. You have to be the best version of you you can be at all times, right? Mm. So, and I can only do the things I can do. I can stretch myself and learn other things and perfect bits and pieces as much as I can, but at my core, I'm good at X, Y, and Z and not good at A, B, and C, right? Right. So when I go for an audition, I am at my core, me, but I do tend to bring a sort of dusting of what I think the character is going to be. So when I was auditioning for King George, for example, I wore, um, I tried to dress up like uh, William and Harry, um, like, you know, blazer, mm. chinos, look, look, look like that. When I auditioned for yeah. Varjon, He's a convict, but you have to think about, again, it's from the inside out. You have to think about who he is, not what label the world has put on them. Okay. So he's, he's a convict, right? So he's going to walk with like boxers walk or like people that are constantly looking over their shoulder, like they walk. And you have to think about, right, how does he dress? He's not going to care about how he looks, really. So I wore a black, so I wore a black T-shirt. But I did grow a beard for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, purposely. I mean, my Vajon auditions lasted a year. So um, I was I actually auditioned for Vajon before I auditioned for Hamilton. Oh, really? Um, yeah, a good month beforehand. And they asked me to come back. Oh, maybe it was a more than a month. But they asked me to come back every every two months to do sort of workshops with the material for Varjon. So I was auditioning for that for a year. Um, in which time I did Hamilton. So I had to shave the beard. <laughs> so I couldn't have the beard the whole time, but, um, but yeah, no, I definitely bring a sort of, you know, dusting or a shadow of the character with me, but it has to be you. Otherwise it's not going to feel, it's not going to feel like you have ownership of it. You're going to be doing an impression of someone else's version of the character. Yeah. It has to be your version of the character. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of where the performance lives. It has to be a meeting of who you are and who the character is. And you have to mush them together and see what comes out in the end. Mm. And that's what rehearsals are for, you know, for getting it horribly wrong. Um, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually you sort of like a sculptor sort of mold the clay into what you want it to be. Yeah. Would you ever, I'm, I'm guessing not, but I don't know. Do, do you, um, would you ever watch like footage of, of it, like of someone else playing it to get yeah. fears? Oh, you would. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it, I've, I mean, with, with some shows, like when I auditioned for Memphis, I didn't know it. Mm. you know um or spam a lot when i did that i yeah. well that's slightly different actually with memphis i didn't i didn't know it at all 
So I did a lot of YouTube research and figured out. Mm. But, he, but the thing is about the guy that played Huey on Broadway um, was very different to how they actually wanted you to play it. Right. He had, he had developed this very um, quirky, sort of off-the-wall character, and they wanted it a lot more straight, like normal, could-be-anyone kind of dude. Yeah. So that ultimately proved to not be the most helpful thing, but it was definitely worth looking at. With, with Spamalot, I knew the material back to front, and there is a certain expectation that I have to say those lines the way Michael Palin say, said them. <laughs> um, when I was auditioning for Spamalot, my, I went for lunch with my brother after, um, after an audition one day, and my brother and I grew up on Monty Python. Mm and know the scripts, know the, the scenes, the sketches back to front. And there are, in Spamalot, some of the scenes taken from the Holy Grail movie, and they're taken verbatim and just put straight on stage. Right. So my brother knew the audition material, even though he'd never seen it or read it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do you know this? He went, it's the same as the movie. I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so with that, there was a certain expectation of getting the style right. I think a lot of it is to do with style. Mm. Like with your, you know, on the Strictly show, you've got certain styles that need certain objective elements to them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm not a dancer, so please forgive my knowledge, but, you know, a certain swivel in a hip or a certain... Um, oh, that's you come know. out. You know. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so there are like certain styles, that a style, a feeling, a, an aura that goes with a show, and it's important to know what that is. Yeah. Um, but then you've got to, like I said, bring it as close to you as you can. Yeah. Because when, when I did, um, but actually both Rock of Ages and Wedding Singer, um, like interestingly, they wouldn't let me, everyone else was like, especially if they'd been in it before, they were, you know, watching back on footage of the show, but no one would let me have a copy of any of it because right. they didn't want me to imitate, you know, what had gone before they were just like no no we yeah. want your, we want your version of mm. and and then probably in wedding singer to protect me from <laughs> like <laughs> trying, to, trying to be you <laughs> no mate i i, wa I watched you and there were, i was jealous of some bits i was like oh yeah i can't dance that bit that well or <laughs> he looks better in that costume than i do man um, um so right so going where were we in your um your journey. So you joined the like the youth opera, and then you've gone to Mount View. Yeah. What, how long were you at Mount View? How long do you do there? Three year musical yeah. theatre degree. I have a degree in musical theatre. And what does that, that what does that entail? Like, what's it like? What's, <laughs> what's it like being a student at a stage school? Like, um. Well, I like I'd seen fame, and I thought it can't be like fame. <laughs> and then there were elements; they were definitely bits like fame. People were having sing songs in the in the cafeteria. Um, but it's were you, you know, wearing leg warmers at times, and <laughs> a, bl a black unitard that made me look like a burnt marshmallow. Um, but I, I don't. Know. I mean, it's eclectic. There are people there who are very artistically dark and there are people there that are very artistically candy floss and you know you can't you can't say that it's the course is going to be one thing or the other because it's everyone has their individual journey through it mm. um there was a lot of dancing 
um, every morning, five days a week, sometimes six days a week for all morning. So nine till 12 with dance classes, uh, ballet, tap, jazz in various orders throughout the week. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of that and there was body conditioning as well. It's physically demanding musical theater. You know, you've got to be fit, fitish. Yeah. Um, and then there was yeah, diff- different classes. You know, you do a group singing class, you'd have a, a personal singing class, you'd do an improv class, you'd do an acting technique class. They did a thing called Alexander Technique, which is about the alignment of the... But I don't really it's know. About, it's, um, it's about the alignment between the neck and the spine and the head. So it's really about having good posture. Okay. But it's, it's also to do with holding yourself in a certain way. I, I, I thought it was bollocks. Um, (laughs) it was yeah I was I was not into it um so you know I think with drama school you get you get out what you put in and I was very very committed to it probably to the detriment of the enjoyment I should have had I definitely should have pissed around more and had more fun but I was uh I was very committed to it (laughs) um at one point I I got out of bed uh, with a lady I'd met the night before exclusively to go to the library to research Pinter. And I was like, <laughs> really should have just stayed in bed. <laughs> That's commitment. Yeah, man. Really geeky. Really geeky. Should have just stayed in bed and, you know, done bad things. But never mind. Um, that's a true story as well. Uh, <laughs> So no, it was it was great, and I got a lot out of it. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I was a massively fat kid, really, yeah, really fat kid. Because um, and I'd never done any sort of. I was it was in all the sports teams, but you know, I was the goalkeeper and <laughs> the, the wicketkeeper, and just generally sort of the stillest I could be. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd never really done that sort of cardiovascular dance, stretching, moving your whole body all at once type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the weight just sort of dropped off me. I think I lost three stone in the first year. Um, so I've put it all back on now, <laughs> but at the time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was interesting sort of. And like I said earlier, getting my mind round to prioritizing lyric and story and Mm. The sort of theory of it all, I really, really uh, sucked all that stuff up as, as hard as I could. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, and then I graduated. Um, I got Miss Saigon just before I graduated, so I, I left with a job, which was amazing, lucky, and great. And yeah, yeah. And then I started that, and that was a UK tour. I did that for like fifteen months, sixteen months, um, under studying the the lead part, Chris, wow. um, the lead GI fella. Yeah. Um, and that was great. That was really good fun. Yeah. So by this point, you must have thought, okay, this is what I want to do. This is like, this is what I want. The dream is just to keep doing shows. And Yeah. Well, I, don't, I honestly don't think I analyzed it that much. I just thought, this is fun, and they're giving me money for it. Great. Yeah. I'll do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, because I, I, I had been doing... After I'd been doing, working for about 10 years, I changed agents. Okay. And I think that was the first time I had been proactive in a decision in my career rather than reactive or taking a, a, an opportunity presented to me. Because like 
it, it was presented to me to start singing with a singing teacher. It was presented to me to audition for Mountview. They presented me with the opportunity to go with a scholarship. I then, my agent asked me if I wanted to be represented by them, took that opportunity. Opportunity came for audition for Miss Saigon. And all these opportunities kind of line up and mm. you take them or you don't take them. Mm. And about 10 years in, I changed agents. And I remember thinking, this is the first time that I have initiated a different path for myself. Mm. Because as a performer, the only real power you have is to say no to something. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to, unless you create your own work, mm-hmm. um, actors really don't get to choose what jobs they do. They only get to choose what jobs they don't do. Yeah. And that sort of defines your career as much as the stuff you accept. Yeah. So it is, it is interesting that after 10 years, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a decision for myself. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was an interesting thing. But at the time, I was 21, doing Miss Saigon. I, I don't think I realized, like, this is what I definitely want to do for the rest of my life. It was just, mm. I'll do this. This seems fun. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of fun on that tour, made up for the Pinter research. <laughs> you put the Pinter book down. <laughs> yeah, put, put down the Pinter <laughs> And what about after, after that, did you go straight onto another show or was there any period? Yeah, after that, I went to Germany and did Rent, um, um, which was great in English, but in Germany. Right. Um, and then after that came Avenue Q. So, yeah. And that was, that was my first West End. And that was when I really thought, oh, this is what it's about. Yeah. Um, because that was a massive thing. That was 2006. And that was a massive thing. And I think I was 22, 23, something like that. And actually I know I got, I got offered the job the day after my 23rd birthday. Um, my girlfriend now wife, um, had flown out to Germany to see me do rent. And we were staying in this hotel and I got a phone call put through from the front desk. And it was my agent saying they've offered you Avenue Q. I was like, oh, this is great. It's the best birthday present ever. Yeah. So um, that, was, that, was a fun, that was a fun day. That was such a great show, Avenue Q as well. I laughed yeah. so much the first time I saw that. <laughs> America, I think. Mm-hmm. First. So, but then, so, w- was learning like how to do the puppets difficult? Yeah, really, really sore. Yeah, because that's the so, story itself, isn't it? Let's not assume people know what Avenue Q is. Okay, so, yeah. Um, you want me to explain it? Yeah, Actually, yeah. I'd, I'd, quite like, I'd quite like you to explain it first, just to see. Because <laughs> I always <laughs> find it interesting, because obviously I studied it a lot. Mm. I was interesting to see people that sort of just witnessed it once, twice, just from the outside, what they sort of made of it. It's a musical with the, the, the characters are puppets. In, in, in like, if, if you imagine like, um, like the Muppets or uh, like a Sesame Street type vibe of puppet, like the way that they move their mouths and the, like the, the, the way they sort of move. It's these um, puppets, but the actors are on, on stage and you can visibly like see the actors with these puppets and, and these puppets are singing to each other. And, and so you think it's like Muppets the musical, but then <laughs> it's not for kids. Like the, these... Oh, uh, no. these like it's quite um, 18 rated, like the stuff, like the soundtrack, the things that they sing about, you know, like, like I, I always remember uh, the internet is for porn 
and you know everyone's a little bit racist these are the titles of the songs <laughs> yeah it's just like i suppose the vibe is sort of um south park um yeah sort of south parky you know like south park is sort of presented as like a like these kids in a cartoon but it's not really for kids it's like yeah. like that sort of that sort of humor and it and yeah, when I saw it, I just laughed all the way through and then bought the soundtrack afterwards. Um, but the actors on the stage, actors and, and, and singers, have, it's weird because we can see them, but like you're acting through the puppet and controlling yeah. them and you've got to sort of bring this puppet to life in a believable way. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. Well, they, um, that was a very good explanation, actually. Well done. People, <laughs> people, never, people never knew what they were watching until they saw it. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons it was so successful is because people enjoyed it and then they couldn't explain to their office the next day why or what it is. <laughs> yeah. So the only way to explain it was just come and see it. Let's go and see it. Yeah. I'll, don't worry, I'll see it again because I enjoyed it. <laughs> so I think the sort of word of mouth of it just by trying to explain what it was mm. was sort of the secret of its success on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, yeah, the puppetry, they, during the audition process, they taught us to puppeteer. Hmm. Um, we'd had two three-hour puppet workshops. Okay. Um, and I had a lot of auditions for that, um, almost as many as Varjon. But it, they, what they start out doing, they start out by putting um, an elastic band around your fingers with two ping-pong balls for eyes, and your thumb is the mouth. So okay. you... Obviously, you can see me, but this is a podcast, so people can't. So if they imagine making like a... Like a, like a, a mouth with your hands. Like a mouth with your hand, and then you put like ping pong balls thing. on your right. So then you've got what's called the triangle. So that's the two pupils and the nose, which is the right. end of your middle finger. Yeah. And that, that triangle dictates where your focus is for the character at all times. And right. your head and your hand, dictated by that triangle, have to move in... in in synchronization right hmm. so that's how the connect between your hand and your head has to be right so they started out with that and they taught us how to move the mouth they taught us how to move the arms they taught us how to walk the characters because you have to bounce them along in front of you like this <laughs> um like that like that but but specifically so they have to have you have to imagine they have a specific floor so every time you bounce your elbow up and down it has to go back to the same place because otherwise yeah. it looks like they're walking up a, some weird stairs yeah 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 so there's all there's a lot of technicalities that go into it to make it look smooth um and we did that and then when i got offered the job and we started rehearsals we had a week of just puppeteering so um we would do, we, doesn't matter, the script was put to one side, the music was put to one side, just learn how to move with the puppet, how to emote with the puppet, how to make the puppet breathe. Because obviously it's, it's a complete, it's a thing, it's not alive. Yeah. Although they, they did feel very alive to me. Mm. They, um, so you have to learn how to manipulate your hand to make it look like it's out of breath or it's taking a shocked breath. And if you re-watch Sesame Street and the Muppets now, you will notice that when a Sesame Street or a Muppet character is shocked, they will go, <gasps> and they will retract their wrist backwards 
and open the mouth. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there, so there are certain ways to that, and then you learn how to dance with the characters. How do how do the puppets dance and the, all these things? And then yeah. we had the usual five weeks of rehearsal with the material. Yeah. And I think, I think about two weeks in, my hand, my right hand went numb because the muscles just like pretty much atrophied because I, my hand got so so sore. Um, the muscle that the muscle that moves your thumb, so like the butt of your hand. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I could have stuck a knife in it, and I wouldn't have hurt, wouldn't have felt anything. It just went numb. Um, and then, like, there were probably everyone had problems with their necks and their lower backs and their shoulders. So they gave us a lot of physio. Because, um, like the um, the RSI of it, the uh, repetitive strain injury, was a real problem for the Broadway company. And so when they brought it over to London, they were really keen to keep us as fit as they could. So we had a physio come to us twice a week and they pay for it obviously. And just, you know, sort out any problems we had and we could go to the, we could see osteopaths and physios anytime we liked, um, which was really good. They really looked after us. Um, and we were, and you know, we were all very young. I mean, I was 20, Three, well, the guy who played Trekkie Monster, who the internet's a porn character, <laughs> he was he was nineteen, twenty. You know, it's quite a young cast. Um, yeah. But you know, it was such a good company, yeah. um, and I've got lifelong friends out of those guys. Yeah. Um, and at the time, at the time, I was just having the best laugh of my life with these people because everyone on stage could do it, and that like links back to what I was saying about. There was no one I was a, I, I wouldn't have thrown the ball to. Everyone could do it. Everyone knew that they could bring something special to the company. And everyone trusted everyone else and everyone believed in everyone else. Mm. Um, and I've not been in a lot of companies like that. I've been in maybe three, four companies where I thought, everyone around me is top notch. Everyone knows what they're doing. And I think UQ was one of those. It's important, um, isn't it, when you have that incredibly that kind of energy in a cast. When, when just like you, yeah, like you say, you trust everybody. Everyone just it feels nice. You don't feel like there's going to be any drama when you're yeah. in, or anyone's going to be a dick. But I, I feel quite lucky that I've, you know, like the, the few shows that I've done, um, the cast always seems to be like that. Mm. Um, yeah, and it does make such a lot of difference when it's yeah. out on stage. Have you ever had to? be on stage with someone who you really don't like um you don't have to name yeah. them like, i mean what what is yeah. <laughs> i mean you can if you want but um, no that's not want it. um <laughs> yeah no i think there's i don't think i've been on stage with anyone that i disliked actually that's not true i have been on stage with people i dislike and it makes it difficult one specific guy i'm thinking of i really disliked who he was but he was really good at his job Mm. And that's a hard thing to sort of compartmentalize yeah. because I really disliked how he conducted his life and who he was and what he stood for and the, how he, how he conducted himself in a company and just generally thought he was worthless. Mm. And then he'd step on stage and he really knew what he was doing. You couldn't take away from the fact that he was good, really good. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you've got to, 
in a company like that, especially in a musical where everyone relies on everyone else. You've got to sort of have that compartmentalization. Otherwise, otherwise you just, you know, your personal feelings can't get in the way of it. Similarly, there have been people that I thought were the best people in the world who weren't particularly good performers. Mm. And then I'm not sure which way around I'd rather have it. I think, I, yeah. I, think I, I think I'd rather have the first one. I think I'd rather have people I didn't get along with who were brilliant on stage. Yeah. Because, because then you can leave them behind. But yeah. it's, it, it's, it's a 51-49 situation. I never know which way I'm going to fall with it. Because mm. I suppose if they're really good at their job, then you'd, it's that sort of feeling of safety on stage, I guess. Mm. Like in the moment when you're that character and you're in them scenes mm. on stage, it's just you feel safe. Yeah, you know they're going to they're catch it. You, you know, mm. they know, they know that you know they're going to work. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, it was it is it is a funny situation, and it's a cliche to say that you know casts are like families, but companies get like that. They yeah. are little families, and the worst bit of my job is having to say goodbye to a family every yeah. six months, eight months, a year. Mm. You know, because you get really close to these people, and you do get as close as you can possibly be. Mm. Um, and then you, you know, you got to say goodbye to them and you've got to throw yourself into another family or you don't get to be in one for a couple of months. And that's, that's, that's hard in, it, in itself. So that's sort of the worst bit of, of what I do. Yeah. Have you gone through periods where like you just haven't been working or have you sort of yeah. from show to show? I've done, I've done long periods where I was waiting for a job to start. Mm. So like I've had to not take work for like nine months because I knew a job was coming up later in the year. Right. Um, so then it's just like, what am I going to do for this time? Yeah. I've had periods where I didn't have a job booked for later in the year and was just unemployed for months at a time. Mm. Um, and every actor does. I've been very lucky that those periods haven't been that, that much. Yeah. Um, and that's as much to do with luck and timing as it is to do with ability, you know, mm. like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the jobs came up that I was suitable for at the right times. Mm. And sometimes that works against you. Like if you are working and a job comes up that you'd be perfect for, but you're not available for it, then that's just bad luck. You know, that you're yeah. not going to get to do that role. Mm. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, I've, I've had, I've had periods of unemployment, um, and they're tough. They're really, they're really hard. And you feel like, um, that little part of, like I was saying earlier, as a kid, that's who you are and that's what your identity is. Mm. That bit doesn't get served. Um, and I think as you grow up learning to, um, define yourself separately from your work, if you're an artist mm. is important because artists that exclusively define themselves by their work, I think they go a bit nuts when they don't get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh no, that's a scary thought for me. That's <laughs> 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 true. I'm sat here like, just left Strictly Come Dancing, coronavirus has hit, so all the, <laughs> everything's been postponed. Uh, here at home going, ah, what am I doing now? And then, oh, and then it's going to be, who am I? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a weird 
I read an article recently that said that the most unprecedented thing about the coronavirus is the use of the word unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's never been in print as much yeah. as it has been, <laughs> but, but it, it's, it's true. You know, it's, this is a, a very different type of situation, but yeah, I think, you know, in, in periods of unemployment, finding other things to define yourself and have find self-worth in is really important for a, for an artist because otherwise, you know, you don't always get the opportunity to do it and you're going to go a bit crazy, mm. you know? Yeah. Which is why like you're, you're just needing to sing all the time at the moment. Yeah. 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 I just need a warble every now and then. And then I'm yeah. like, I've, I've, it's interesting actually. I've, I've found that like, I've, I've always been like keen on the idea of like, yeah, I could take a massive break and not do this for a while and it'd be great no responsibility, no pressure, you know, all of that stuff. Like if someone said to me, you know, if you could like retire, have enough money to just retire now and never mm. work again. And, and, I, and I'd be like, yeah, I'd be fine. That'd be brilliant. But actually I think this time has shown me that you know, now's about enough. Now I, I genuinely like just want to, like it's made it very clear in my head what I want to do. And I genuinely do like want to get up and, perform like yeah I, I miss it yeah yeah i mean it's the framing of it isn't it like if you chose to take a little sabbatical of a year or two then that yeah. would be your choice but yeah. this is not this is nobody's choice yeah this is this is enforced upon us so i think it, it, it's how the framing of it comes like if like if i'd have chosen to take two months off the show then i would have enjoyed those two months for what they were but i would have known yeah. that it was a set period yeah this is endless at the moment. Yeah. It's open-ended. So, and the, I, I've never been more aware of the importance of an audience, like the concept of an audience. I've never been more, more thankful for what an audience represents, which is an opportunity to do this for somebody. Because yeah. unlike, like, unlike some artistries, you, I need an audience. Otherwise I'm just doing it for myself. And that's, that's not what my art is about. My art is about making other people feel and think. I, I and could not be more on board with you. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that is what my, that's what my job is. Mm. And if the other people aren't there, then why am I bothering? So yeah. And at the moment, the concept of congregating in a thousand seater room is just is unthinkable. So it's really made me feel like I'm so appreciative of audiences. Like I was always appreciative of audiences, but I've never been more aware of it than now. Yeah. Because you think, well, they can't be there. And until, until the social distancing thing has completely gone, it's not really going to be safe to do so. Yeah. You know, taking us away the fact that as, as a company of, of performers, you have to sweat on each other and like my, my dresser wipes my forehead and wipes sweat off me. And you know, I, everyone coughs all over everyone else and everyone kisses people, mm. not just, not just socially, but also you have to kiss each other in the show. Yeah. Like Robbie in the wedding singer, do you know you kiss every single female cast member? Really? Run through the show. You kiss the grandma, you kiss, you kiss, um, the girl, you kiss Julia, you kiss, uh, Holly, Holly, you, you know, you kiss, uh, what's the one that jilts him? Um, Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is 
Exactly. Yeah, played by Tara. Exactly. So I love it. We've both played that role. We can't think of it. <laughs> yeah, no. Linda, 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 Linda. Yeah, I was thinking um, Lisa, but I was like, it's not Lisa. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Linda. You kiss that. You kiss the grandma. You kiss all. You kiss all three girls. You kiss everybody at some point. Yeah. And some of the male characters. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. so if if you know if you weren't able to do that for social distancing, that show just wouldn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, I've really been, I've really been thinking how important audiences are as a concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me, me too. Like I, I feel very much like that about, about the audience and how much we're doing it for the audience. And I want like a reaction from the audience, but like when you're on stage, like in the, in the moment, and especially say if it's like a, a serious <laughs> scene, say it's like the bring him home scene in, mm. in Les Mis, at that point, because you know how you hear different actors talking about different, you know, methods and how they think about it. And you hear some of them say, like, when I'm in that moment, I'm not even aware that there's an audience there. Mm. Um, I understand what they're saying, but I can't say I've ever truly experienced that. Like, I'm always aware that the audience is there. Where, where does the, where's the distinction for you? Like, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, the closest I ever get to that feeling is 99% of it. There's yeah. always a 1% minimum feel of... I know that the audience are watching this. Yeah. Um, which is probably why I'd be a very bad screen actor because I think as a screen actor, you have to sort of turn off that. But then again, there's, there's camera angles to work and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I think I do most of that work in rehearsals and think, right, how does this picture look from over there, from the audience's perspective? Mm. How does how does my voice need to be so that the audience understand this? How, how can you and I working together as a scene, how can we create this story, these pictures so that they can get it? And if you, if you, if you routine that into the show, then you don't have to think about how the audience are perceiving it because you've already sort of baked it into the show. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever, let go of there's an audience watching ever mm -hmm. because also someone will cough or open a pack of sweets yeah. or talk or there'll be a phone go off or mm. you know something in the auditorium will will remind you always yeah. every show something at least one thing mm. um and the thing about musical theater is there's a lot of it breaking fourth wall you know you're doing a lot of it directly to the audience a lot of yeah. a lot of time and if i forget that they're there and just do it for myself i'm cutting off their opportunities to follow me and therefore to understand and feel and think and be immersed in whatever world they have paid to be immersed in yeah i'm always very aware especially with the way ticket prices are now it's crazy um that those people have saved up for it. They want you to include them. They have paid so that they can experience this thing and be moved away from their lives and turn off their brains and have you fill up their heads and their souls and their hearts with a thing yeah. for three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think if you ever forget that, then it, it's, it does them a disservice. Yeah. Um, one of, one, of, one, of my, one of my biggest problems, I think, is my sort of almost like, uh, I agree with everything you say about sort of what you're doing for the audience. Mm. But then 
I have a problem with how much I almost rely on the audience. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, you've seen me. We've, we've toured together. Mm-hmm. And generally, if an audience is just, like, unbelievable, if it's like the audience is, is great and big standing ovations and making loads of noise and, like, like there's just so much energy in the room. Like, like I, I come off stage and I feel a million dollars and I feel like, you know... Um, I, I love what I do for a living and mm. I can't wait for tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, if it's like less than that, even if it's still a good audience, but I've experienced yeah. this the night before and it's a bit less than that. Mm. Like I come off stage and I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, either, either I've got no love for it or I just, I don't, I don't care anymore. Or maybe I've lost my confidence or maybe I'm not as good as I used to be. That's yeah. it. And beat myself up about the whole event. Does the audience have any effect on you that way? Like if, yeah, you, yeah. Like if an audience yeah, that, one night on a Tuesday night or something or. Yeah. I think the one I felt that most acutely with was spam a lot. Because right. it was, because it wasn't deep, because it was <clears throat> gag after gag after gag after gag. If the audience weren't going with you, if they weren't buying it that night, for whatever reason, and I was doing it exactly the same, or at least I think I'm doing it exactly the same to the best of my ability, and they just, they just weren't going for it. You come off stage and you feel like, I don't know why I'm doing this. They're not getting it. I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what I did differently than the other night where I could walk on stage, bat an eyelid and get a standing ovation. You know, putting too much emphasis on the audience's reaction is, is a sort of, can be difficult and it is, it is a tightrope. I think that's what makes live art in any way, theatre, concerts, comedy, whatever it is. Live performing arts is important and special because it's live mm. and it's only, it only exists in that moment. Yeah. And I think I've had to learn over years to just accept whatever happens that night happens. Yeah. And then you get to redo it the next night. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're not hoping to perfect your performance. Mm. Like, mm, I think I can do that bit a bit better or I think I can do this bit a bit differently or I'm going to try this, this, this tonight, or, you know, you, you can, within the margins that you've agreed for the show, you can mess it around, mm. but what's going to happen with that audience is what's going to happen. And if you learn to, I had to learn to let go of, 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 of expect, expectation and yeah. analysis and, and comparison, you know, yeah. That's what I need to learn at some point. No, it's, 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 it's tough, man. I don't always succeed. I'm still learning. But, you know, I think, and, and that means that you don't end up putting as much um, stock in the congratulations from them or the um, critiques from them. Because, mm. you know, one audience is going to be one way, another audience is going to be another way. You're going to be one way one night and another way another night. And you are, we are all our worst critics, mm. you know? Um, and if you can, if you can learn to critique yourself properly, uh, then, then, then that, that's as useful as listening to an audience say you were brilliant or say you were awful. Yeah. Yeah. But I, having said that, 
I have, having stood behind you when you were bouncing around, waving your arms in front of an audience, going, "Come on, come on!" Come on. Yeah, Some love nice. it. It's, come on. it's amazing. Yeah, and thinking, like I remember, remember talking to you on that tour and being like, "Aren't you knackered?" You're like, "Yep, yep, knackered. Still going to do it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> still going to bounce around like Tigger. It's fine." <laughs> it's, it's me. It's me basically going, "Come on, everyone, clap, get on your feet." <laughs> like shit tonight. <laughs> um, for, for that tour, I want to tell that story of. Um, Go on in. Because uh, oh. <laughs> we're holding. Uh, obviously, it was like my tour dancing tour um and uh we were looking for the, the male singer we had like, orchestra and then male singer and female singer female singer was already in place and then we were looking for our um male singer and you know the producers were, oh you know we, we can do a whole like audition and it was like it'd be great if they could play guitar because of that bit you know like if they could play okay we'll we'll, we'll put a thing out for male singers with um uh that can play guitar Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And we were at Dan Satic. And it was actually Ricky Rojas uh, had said to me, oh, um, my, my mate, I didn't know you at all. I'd seen you in Wedding Singer, but I uh, didn't know you. Right. Um, and, and, and Ricky had gone, uh, my mate John Robbins is available for this, like, short period. Um, you should totally get him to do it. Like, he's brilliant. Like, I can't recommend him enough. Like, he's, he's an awesome singer. Da, 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 da. Like, really complimentary. I was like, okay, brilliant. Um, so, you know, put the message out to, to you to come in. And then we held this like audition thing in, uh, in dance attic. It was just a room in dance attic and people were lined up and you were the first one to come in. And, uh, did we get you to sing a couple of songs or, or something first yeah. before doing Roxanne? Yeah, I think we did, we did jailhouse rock on the guitar. Um, yeah. and I, I, I played, I played through that just to show I could play the guitar. Yeah. Um, and then the musical director Clive, go on. Yeah. Go on, go on. <laughs> go on tell it from your perspective. No, 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 no. Because you tell as well. Go on. Go well, on. Well, so um, our MD Clive, who was sort of in control of the whole orchestra, and you know, brilliant, really, really good, and he, he was sort of helping us put together all the songs just just how we wanted it, and um, and he was sort of in control of these auditions. I was just sat there, you know, watching. Um, and felt like a, a bit like, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's my show, but like, it's weird me having some sort of say on like the same, cause you know, I'm sure they're all going to be brilliant and I'm not like a professional singer. Um, but anyway, you were the first one in and so you would have done Jailhouse Rock on the guitar and, and then we launch into um, Roxanne because Roxanne was like a big number in the show um, that we were going to be dancing to. And so we wanted to hear singing um, Roxanne and then, but it was like, Clive suddenly became obsessed with you singing it in this like Spanish accent. Spanish accent, yes, yeah. which I cannot do. No, but, no, but you could, but, but it was this weird sort of like 20 minutes where it was like, right, can you do it again? I mean, I mean you sang it and I think any of us that were in there, like involved in, in putting the show together, all sort of looked at each other and went, well, well, it's him, isn't it? He's, we sort of don't need to see anyone else. Like, it's, it's, he's definitely going to be the guy. Like, he's definitely got the job. Unless it's like some sort of, unless the male, unless Jennifer Hudson comes in dressed up as a guy <laughs> and we think it's a guy and it's Jennifer Hudson. Do you know what I mean? Coming in, then 
it, this is the guy, you know, like, and, and everyone was happy, but then Clive went, right, let's do it again. And I want to hear it in a real Spanish, Spanish accent. Oh. But then you were going into like, rocks and oh, I'm not even gonna... put on your red light into this. And, and... I honestly thought I was on sort of some sort of hidden show, hidden camera show. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Why are you asking me to do this? And then I feel like it, it just went on and on. Like, I feel like it was about three times, in, as I remember it, it was about three times you went, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, that was pretty good. And I'm sort of looking around going, I mean, what do you mean pretty good? He's, he's smashed it out the park. Like, let's, let's just hear it again. And can we go a bit more on the Spanish? <laughs> <So>, the <laughs> thing is, what I, did, what I know now that I didn't know at the time is that Karen is Hispanic. Yeah. So speaks fluent Spanish mm. and has sort of a spanish accent anyway. Mm. So, I, like, I didn't know that, but at the time she must have been, like, sitting there dying <laughs> well, with laughter with this camera. very English middle-class man having a go at speaking. Oh, my God. <laughs> By the third go, it was like... Yeah, offensive. It was offensive. <laughs> and we're, we're sort of going, I'm not sure how necessary this is. And clients going, yeah, if maybe, maybe the pronunciation on that word and then we were just like okay I, th I think we're good I think we're good <laughs> and then you know like we, we saw like a few more people and then at the end we we're just like okay so it's John it's John Robbins right yeah everyone's in agreement okay John Robbins fine <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah and then and then you were so amazing in, in the show and um yeah like I say I used to sort of come into the wings there's that one bit where you used to sing like the Moulin Rouge um Sort of love duet things. Yeah, the love, yeah. And um, it, it was just amazing. And I used to try and listen to, listen to it and, and watch how you were doing it and how you were carrying yourself and, and how you sounded and, and try and sort of imitate what you were doing, you know, just like, like trying to learn as, as, as much as possible. Um, yeah, like you were so, so brilliant in the, in the show and, and you've been like a massive inspiration to me. And I remember actually, who was it that came up to me? Someone said to me, I think it was Susanna Reid, came, came and, and watched the show and, and, and the comment was like, um, you know, it, it, was, it was my show, but she'd come, and, and I knew her completely, <laughs> and she'd come to me, and, oh yeah, yeah, brilliant, no, 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 you dance great, but who's the singer? And, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's John Robbins, he's good, isn't he? And, and, and she went, um, uh, and she went, yeah, why isn't, why isn't he doing, why isn't he like in the West End? And I'm like, well, he is. <laughs> he is. He is sort of. He's sort of legend in the West End. We're 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 very lucky to have him. <laughs> but but no. it's all we wanted to talk about was how how good the singer was. No, um, it was it was. I mean, you picked such great songs for me to sing. It was absolute privilege doing it with that band and those songs, like the Robbie Williams stuff that you put in, and oh, the Moulin yeah, Rouge yeah. stuff, and um, like how often. Do you get to sing that Robbie Williams? Um, I will talk and Hollywood will listen. Mm, yeah. That was such a privilege to get to sing because it's such a brilliantly written song. But no one's ever going to do it like an out at another context other than that, mm. you know. Mm. And the band that was put together was so good. I did I did an album last year yeah. and I nicked I nicked <laughs> all the I did your version of Jailhouse Rock. Yeah, I did your version of Grace Kelly, and I yeah. got. I got the band that you had on your tour to come and play on the album. 
Um, yeah, so it's, all, it's all your voice. So thank you for yeah. those. No. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, no, right. Yeah, and because we obviously we came to see you at um, uh, what, which theatre was it again? Remind me. Leicester Square. Leicester Square Theatre. Um, yeah, we came because you did like you did a the John Robbins tour basically. You yeah. Did, you, you did a tour up and down the country. How did that come about? Um, I realised I had a lot. I was going to have a lot of time on my hands doing Hamilton. Hmm. Um, because I was, you know, it's a two and a half hour show and I was on stage for eight minutes of it. So I figured, what the hell am I going to do with my time? Um, and I'd done an album in 2011, 2011, and I thought, I'll do it. I've got time, I've got money, I'm employed, I can do another album. So uh, Big Hand Records um, and I talked about doing... Uh, doing another album and I had time to arrange it and then I thought well usually when you do an album you do like one concert to launch it and I think I just got a bit carried away so it ended up being a, a UK tour yeah um, on Sundays um, throughout September yeah um, which was I mean I have such respect for producers I just don't know how they do it mm. the stress involved in trying to plan a tour yeah um and it's a funny thing because, you know, we've been talking about what it is to get inside the head of another character. But when it's you, when it's you are the, the headliner, mm. you know, people are coming to see you, be you. Yeah. That's a very different. I felt way more pressured doing my own tour to 400 people than I did right. playing Barjon to 1600 every night. Mm. you know, or whatever it is. And I think because you have to, you have to give more of yourself and you can't hide behind someone else's character. You have to have yeah. a sort of performance persona that's based very closely on you. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do you cope with that? Because obviously when you were doing your tour, people were coming to see you and you were not only dancing, but also narrating and presenting and mm. comparing and doing all those sorts those sorts of things. That, yeah, I mean, it's, that's probably why I'm so desperate for the, the energy of the crowd and right. sort of treat it like a concert and, and, and hope that the crowd are going to get really energised because I'm, I'm aware that, yeah, they've bought, you know, they've, they've bought a ticket to see, yeah, to see you. And, and if they're not making lots of noise, mm. I don't have that little switch where you can go, well, it, you know, it could be anything. I've got to just let go of any expectation of the audience. I don't, I don't have that. So, so I'm just going, they're quieter than they were last night. So that means I'm not as good as I was last yeah. night. Or they yeah, don't like me as much as, as, as last night. I suppose, like, yeah, I was, pr was probably less worried about that sort of stuff when I was doing musicals. Like, yeah. Because it's a cast and you're being a different character and they've come to see The Wedding Singer or Rock of yeah. Ages or, or whatever it is and all of these characters within it. Whereas, yeah, you're right, when it's, when it's your tour, they're coming to see you. So. I had a really weird juxtaposition weekend um, on the, the, before the first date of the album tour. The album's called Musical Direction. You can go and get it online, blah, 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 plug, plug, plug. Yeah, right. yeah, no, no, do, plug it, plug it. Finish with that. It. No, that's it, that's it. I'm done. You can, you can get it on the usual places. Musical Direction, John Robbins, get it now. <laughs> right, done, good. Plug back. Um... So I was doing press for Hamilton, doing proms in the park for Radio 2. Um, 
we're dressed up as King George with God, whatever the BBC Symphony Orchestra hmm. playing the song in front of 40,000 people in the park and however many millions were watching and listening on the radio and the TV. Right. Hmm. So that didn't freak me out one little bit. I was, it was fine. 40,000 people, sea full of people, millions of people listening and watching. doesn't freak me out at all because I'm playing King George. Yeah. The next night, I played to 200 people in the Liverpool Philharmonic studio as me backstage chewing my nails off. And it was, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. It was so bad. And the thing is, once I got on stage doing my own gig, I start to relax a bit. But before it, you're going, oh God, they've just come to see me. Oh my God. <laughs> <It's>, that, <laughs> that freaks yeah. me out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I I was nervous because like obviously you asked me to 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 sing at one of your um, yeah it was brilliant the show, the show in London, um, and I was so honoured like that that you'd asked me to be a part of it like to to, to be a part of your show and I, oh, yeah. and I was really like so so excited um, about doing it. But then I remember I I was sort of really just excited like the whole time, and then I got there. And I went out front to watch the show and basically until I was going to be on. And, and you were just amazed, like the way you just sort of hold the audience and you're so natural on stage and like smashing out these songs. And then you had these other um, guests on and, and, you know, who are also all brilliant singers. And then like Joe Pasquale came on and did a whole bit. And like, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> all brilliant. All, all brilliant. And the audience was, like so into it. And then I look, I looked around the audience just going, Oh, this is a really great night. And then like in front of me to the right, there's like the rest of the cast of Hamilton. <laughs> and I went, Oh shit. <laughs> suddenly that it really it became so real for me that like and um you had um alice fern um yeah there, um singing and and i was like following her and and, and she was amazing and i'm like oh my god suddenly i became so aware that i was amongst all these great performers in front of great performers. And, yeah, and, like, you held, and you held your own. Everyone oh, loved it. Zone, I was like, ah. <laughs> that was amazing. It was great. It was, it was a great, great night. night. And you're like, you're such a great performer. And um, yeah, do, do you think you'll do it that again at any point? Or? Um, what, another album? Or another, another album or, or another like tour of you doing your own, your own stuff? Yeah, Just I'd like listening to. Should, I want everyone to go and see you, basically. <laughs> ah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, no, I think at some point I definitely will. Um, not for a little while, obviously. Things need to be unlocked down. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then Les Mis is sort of the only thing I do at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in a couple of years' time, I think I'd like to do more, more concert work and more stuff that's mine. And I was, I was going to filter in my own writing. And I think that's another level of intimacy that I'm not sure I'm ready for. Right. Cause I write a lot. Um, yeah, yeah I write a lot of music and I write, I've, I've written, I thought the other thing I did with my time. I wrote a TV pilot when I was doing Hamilton. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I had to fill my time somehow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I'd like to do more, but it is a de- it is definitely a different skill than, acting mm. you're still you're still performing 
But when you're acting as someone else, it is, it is a different mentality and a different prep and a different way of doing it, you know? Mm. So when you're writing, say if you're writing songs, is it then mm. easier for you to write a song for a character within something than it is to Hell yes. as like, this is John Robbins's song? Yeah, I've written, I've written a couple of musicals, none of which have yet seen the light of day. But um, it's so much easier to write a situation for someone else rather than just here's my feelings on through music. Yeah. I have such respect for singer-songwriters. People like uh, God, James Bay who just seem to pour their soul out through their mouth, you know, mm. and those Newton Faulkner and those kind of guys. I listen to those guys a lot. Right. And you think that I, I, the honesty that they have about their thoughts and feelings is just touching. I think that's what touches audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've, I've never thought about acting as a creative process. I think about acting as an interpretive process. Okay. Because you're, they're not my words and they're not my thoughts and it's not my story. They mm. have been come up, they've, They've been put down on paper by a writer of words, a writer of music, and a choreographer for moves, and sometimes a producer for concepts, and a bunch of other people. And then you get a director who has their spin on it, and they need to, and you are the interpreter for all those other people's thoughts and ideas, mm -hmm. their creativity through your ability, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's catchy. Didn't quite think it to be that catchy. But... I've never thought about acting as an, a creative process, whereas songwriting is exclusively creative. Mm -hmm. So when I perform, when I have performed my own songs in the past for audiences, that's a lot more touching for me um, mm -hmm. and more difficult for me because you've got to be that much more honest and creative, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I don't know if it's because I'm worried that people are going to judge it or if it, you know the people that the, the songs are about are going to know, and then you've given away, you know, you've let your poker face down, mm. or or what it is. But I've got such respect for songwriters that are able to do that because as an actor, you're not being creative; you're being interpretive. You know, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes loads of sense actually. Yeah, and going going forward. Do you, um, like, do you have an ideal, like, is there, like, what, what, what does the future hold for you? What would you like it to hold? Is it like, are, are, do you think you'll go down that road of, of writing more stuff or is there an ideal character you'd love to play that already exists or like what? What's no, I, I, I think the Holy Grail, I mean, I like doing musical theater. I, I, I feel like I know what I'm doing a little bit. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I enjoy the artistry involved in that specific type of acting. I like doing it. And I think the Holy Grail in musical theater is originating parts. Right. You know, because original casts and original um, productions of things, if they become successful, live forever. And I've only laid down um, the blueprints for parts twice two, three times. Um, and that is a, that is creative. That's a lot more creative than, than recreating someone else's work. Mm. Um, cause I've done lame three times 
mm. three three different characters. Yeah, yeah. And I had to do a little bit of what the previous guys did. Yeah. Um, I was able to come up with my own spin on two of those characters because they were new productions. Mm. Um, so I was able to bend it a little bit. But I think doing developing new work uh, w- would be would be what I'd love to do in the future at some point. Mm. It's difficult in this country. The infrastructure for new writing isn't as good here as it is in the States. Okay. In the States, they've got that off-Broadway Broadway pathway that's been Mm. sort of, you know, honed over decades. We Mm. don't quite have that. It's Mm. getting better. So you can have things like everybody's talking about Jamie, um, come through crucible in Sheffield and all those sorts of theaters and, you know, curve are doing great work. They develop good stuff. Um, so there are some, but, uh, but I think doing, doing new work is, is what I'd, what I'd love to do. Mm. Having said that, I love doing big, blockbuster West End shows yeah, yeah you know they're, they're fun I love doing them um, so I, like I said earlier you can't really choose your own career path when you're an actor you can only hope to be in the right place at the right time and take the opportunities that feel right at the time you know hmm. I think I'd like to hear some of them them personal John Robbins songs. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll, send, I'll send you some. I'll send you some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, mate, I could, I could literally talk to you all night, but we might end up with like a 10-hour podcast. Um, yeah. This is going to need some serious editing to find something interesting <laughs> from me. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it was so brilliant. Um, um, because because like you're, you're such a great performer, but also like you, you have a real great way of thinking it all through of, of, of how you go about it, which is why I've wanted to do this podcast to put to people like that, that, that are, you know, interesting about the, how it all comes together. So, thanks, yeah. So thanks for, um, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Um, and thank, yeah, thanks for, um, also for just sort of, you know, helping me out. But, you know, basically the ending to that, to that story about my audition was that basically you sort of helped me all like through that song and got me into a place where I knew how to like build the character a little bit throughout the song and felt prepared to go into that audition for Rock of Ages. And I got the part and had an amazing time doing Rock of Ages. And then the same producers asked me to do Wedding Singer. So, I, you know, it, you basically got me two musicals. <laughs> uh, well, no, you did, you did all that work yourself. I, like I said to the producers of that show who rang me like, what's Kevin like? I said, right. he, he totally, you, you want to employ him. He totally knows what he's doing. You, you know, it was no question they were going to offer it to you. And didn't they offer it to you in the room as you were auditioning? Yeah, just after yeah. I'd done it, they asked me to go outside for like five minutes. And, and I thought... My, my initial instinct was I might have messed this up or are they, I think they're probably thinking that maybe I'm not right for that character, but maybe they're going to ask me to play like the gay German or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's more fitting a character. I wonder yeah. what was happening. Um, yeah. And then they asked me to come back in and said, we'd like to offer you the part. Um, no, I think I was a little too invested in you getting that role to be honest. Cause I think I rang you, like, I think I gave you an, an hour's leeway 
Well, I knew what time your audition was, so I'm like, yeah. I'm like okay, I'll, I'll give them an hour. And then I rang you, and you're like, oh, yeah, they offered it to me. And I did little jump kicks in uh, in Sainsbury's and really upset people. I think I was too invested in it, so I'm glad you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. But, like, yeah, thank you for that. And, and, and you know, th- thank you for uh, just, in, you know, in, in inspiring me. And um, I really want I really can't wait for lockdown to end because I want to come and see you in Les Mis. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Yeah, the lead, Jean Valjean in Les Mis, after playing the, the king in Hamilton. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that. <laughs> Literally, it does not get any bigger than that. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than John Robbins. Um, thanks, man. Thanks, man. And yeah, go and, go and, um, go and buy musical direction. <laughs> plug, 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 plug. Yeah, because it's amazing. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, take care. Yeah, hope, stay safe, mate. I hope you, you and your family are all safe. You too, man. Take it easy. See you soon.